Welcome to episode 25 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Today's guest believes that having an executive presence is not a talent one is born with, it is a skill one can learn. He's the CEO of a multi-million dollar franchise business, an adjunct professor teaching leadership skills to MBA students, an executive coach working with Fortune 500 companies, as well as a keynote speaker, corporate trainer, and consultant. For over 20 years, he has combined his background in management and sales with strong speaking and training abilities to motivate clients and audiences to take action that benefits them and their organizations. His consulting firm enables leaders to influence their organizations more powerfully and purposely through leadership workshops and retreats. He's the author of two books, Golden Principles, Life and Leadership Lessons from a Rescued Dog, which was honored by Amazon.com with a Top 100 Best Books of the Year Award in 2015. And most recently, he published Executive Presence, 49 Golden Rules for Executives, Managers, and Leaders to Maintain Authority Under Pressure, Communicate Confidence, and Own Any Room. He received his doctorate in Ethics and Leadership from Phoenix Seminary and a Master's in Leadership from Western Seminary. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Andy Neely. Thanks, Robbie. Glad to join you this evening. Thank you for joining me from your office in Austin, Texas. So I want to just jump right in. I know my audience will you know, be curious to hear a little bit more about you and your day-to-day, but since this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks, tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? You know, that's, that's probably a bit of a challenging question to answer uh, because you've really asked two questions there. I, I can't remember a time when I didn't have a sense of injustice when I saw people that, that had positions of authority that weren't... Um, shepherding the authority underneath them, whether it was in junior high school seeing bad coaches or or some of my first jobs seeing shift leaders that were all about themselves. Um, so I, there was not a day when I l- looked up and said, I want to help leaders lead better. It, it's It's been this lifetime awareness that it's it, when, when you are given the responsibility to care for people, for organizations, for um, things that are under your influence, that, that's a stewardship responsibility. Your, your job is to take good care of those people, of those customers, of that division that you've been given responsibility for. So, so I, I'm not sure when that awareness first came to me, but it's... It's always been there. And, and the interesting thing, Robbie, is while my, um, my face in the marketplace is helping leaders lead better, what really wakes me up in the morning is bad leaders leading poorly. Huh. And while that may not play real well with the marketing and branding people, my frustration is the celebrity leader, the self-focused leader, the person that is given a position of influence and abuses it and takes advantage of it and uses it for their own personal gain. Was there somebody early in your life that 
maybe it gave you an opportunity to take on leadership yourself? You know, I was given responsibility early on with a scout crew and with uh, some folks at church that trusted me to be kind of a peer leader. And I, you know, I can't even remember their words to me, but I suspect they're, they shared with me at that time that this was a responsibility. This was not a privilege. And that began the process of me awakening to the fact that leadership is not something everybody should aspire to because once they get there, everybody serves them. Leadership should be something that while many of us should aspire to it, we should aspire to it simply because we're passionate about influencing the world around us for better. Which actually leads pretty well back to the first part of that question. How would you define leadership? I think leadership is recognizing that the people you touch, the organizations you serve, the community you live in, you have the opportunity to influence for good, for growth, for their success, for their well-being, and responding to those opportunities and, and being courageous enough to move into those opportunities and take the lead. So I'm hearing that being a leader is both a responsibility and you have to have courage. These are, these are the things that you witness some people not doing well, and that's what's inspired you to, to build your business around helping leaders lead better or poor ones lead less poorly? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's six one and a half dozen of the other. When you see a good leader leading well, uh, Alan Mulally, I heard him speak recently. He was uh, the head of Boeing and then the head of Ford, and those of us that have good memories will remember Ford was the only U.S. auto manufacturer that did not take a government bailout when they all took bailouts. Well, it's because they had Allen at the head. And Allen is a self-effacing, other-oriented leader, but he's not afraid to make tough decisions. He's not afraid to, to focus on a direction and push an organization to that direction. So when, when I say leadership takes courage, at some level, leaders will realize that they see things people around them don't see. And they are compelled to move toward those things. And that's what takes courage. It would be easy to stay in the pack, but moving into the future. The other thing about being courageous is, Robbie, I suspect in the next 30 minutes, we're going to end up talking about leadership and failure any number of times because I'm absolutely convinced mm -hmm. there's no effective leader worth his or her salt that hasn't failed at leadership earlier in their career or earlier in their life. So actually, give us a little sense of the trajectory. I know that you went to two seminaries. Were you active in college, active in the seminaries? Were you taking on opportunities in leadership through that, through that path? And did you have a straight path to where you are today? Like, or where, how did it unfold? Yeah. So good question. I suspect if somebody looked back, they would say, oh, yeah, this has been a straight path. For me, it's just been that, that broken road. Uh, I have a way with words like you and so many others who are actively participating in the National Speakers Association. I'm a, a, a natural-born communicator. So from the time I was in grade school or junior high school, I was the one that was put up front to do the book report or, or uh, nominated to be on student council. Uh, but having a way with words and being a leader are two separate things. And uh, as I find myself... <laughs> 
sharing with budding speakers at times, just because you're articulate, that doesn't mean you have anything to say. And, and finding your leadership voice is different than simply um, being a good communicator because a leader does see things the way they ought to be and has a certain energy or passion or conviction about getting there. <clears throat> I love that. I have to just repeat this quote. Just because you're articulate doesn't mean you have anything to say. <laughs> yeah. You know, Robbie, after you and I were together at the NSA conference in Phoenix a month or so ago, um, I sure enjoyed my time with you and with the other professionals that I got to mingle with. I also found myself increasingly frustrating, frustrated because there's lots and lots of people that are very articulate, um, but they don't really have anything to say. Uh, they're simply rehashing other people's content, other people's ideas. And mm -hmm. so that's not leadership. That, that might be somebody turning a phrase, but that's not leadership. Mm -hmm. So this broken road, I like, I like that uh, sort of metaphor too. So through, as you made your way through your career, where did you, uh, when did you sort of realize that this was a gift that you had that you could, I mean, being a businessman is one challenge, but then to take that into the speaking realm, so what was the trajectory, you know, moving up into that? And, and prior to the franchise you have now, were you involved with business before that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it really is a broken road. I wish I could tell you it was purposeful. It was really more opportunistic than anything else. Um, my faith is very important to me, and I headed off to graduate theology school. Not quite clear where I was going to land, but I knew that I wanted to invest my life in developing my relationship with God and understanding my faith deeper. Because of my communication abilities, I was recognized as somebody that should teach and preach and speak regularly, and so I had increasing opportunities to do that. I never wanted to be a traditional church pastor or minister, and so I ended up uh, kind of without real focus, just assuming that I'd end up being a, a university professor and uh, finished my own master's degree, ended up actually teaching and coaching at the high school level for a number of years because I found out that you pretty much have to have your ultimate degree, your doctorate, in order to teach at the college or graduate school level. So I taught and coached at the high school level for several years. And Robbie, my, my entry into business was simply accidental. I was a high school teacher and, and uh, football and strength coach. I had summers off. I was living in Phoenix and Phoenix was booming in one of its real estate booms. So I got my real estate license and sold real estate in the summers. And uh, the very first summer I had my real estate license, I sold a million dollars worth of real estate. And when you sliced and diced the commissions, by the time everything closed, I made $17,500 in about 10 weeks. And that almost equaled what I was making the entire school year. Wow. And so within about two years, I had transitioned into full-time real estate sales. And then I had an opportunity to move into technology sales and sales management. So it was never purposeful. It was just opportunistic. Yeah. Um, and so I was managing a sales force, Robbie, in Phoenix in the late 1990s. And I increasingly was frustrated with the management that I was reporting to 
uh, even suspect of the management that I was reporting to. I could tell that they were not ethical leaders. There were things that weren't working well. I could see on our balance sheet and our, our monthly financial reports. And ultimately, Robbie, I, I recognized that they were heading toward bankruptcy. And indeed, the, the spring of 1999, they locked their doors uh, the day before. My team and I were supposed to get our quarterly bonuses, uh, which were going to be very nice bonuses. And so they, um, they went out of business, and I was left with a team of about a dozen salespeople that were looking to me for answers, and I didn't have any answer. I guess I would say to you, if there was one moment in time where I said, this cannot happen, that was the moment. But again, I wish I could tell you, so I was strategic at that point. I really wasn't. I was jobless. And I'm uh, laying in bed next to my wife one night. She's reading the Wall Street Journal. She said, hey, honey, there's an opportunity here for somebody like you. They need speakers to do conferences around the country. And I filled out the application that was online and ended up working for the same organization that that, uh, Ruby worked for back in the uh, late 1990s, one of the Senar Conference uh, programs where they would they would send you to the east end of Iowa with a box of books and you'd speak in five different hotels and make your way across to the western side of the state and at the end of the week you'd get in an airplane and fly home and and I was teaching time management and conflict resolution and negotiating skills and customer service and a little bit of leadership development stuff and so um, I did that for a period of time and realized that what really scratches my itch is this leadership development stuff. I had the opportunity to uh, pursue my doctorate uh, as an adjunct professor and was pursuing my dissertation studies. The, uh, the school I was working with gave me great flexibility to focus my dissertation on what I was really passionate about. And so they allowed me to take a look at uh, what makes an effective leader an effective leader and it really was at that point where my the seminars that I was doing began to combine with my increasing conviction around what makes a good leader a good leader. And ultimately, through a, a continual broken road in many respects, uh, ultimately that led to the founding of the Neely Leadership Group and what I'm currently doing in helping leaders lead better. So what do you find most rewarding about the work you're doing now? You know, I, I work in the C-suite, and I, and I work on the 40th floor. I, I've, I've worked on Wall Street. I, I work at the highest level of Fortune 500s, but that's not my greatest satisfaction. I, I'm absolutely convinced that frontline leaders and the leaders that manage frontline leaders, the, the lower two rungs on any organization, the ones that have direct impact on bottom line performance, when we can help those leaders lead better, will change their organization, will improve their customer satisfaction numbers, will lower their employee turnover, and, and, and furthermore, will we'll just help them be better leaders. The, the leaders that I get most excited about, let me, let me give you a, a picture of the typical leader. The leader I get most excited about, she's in her mid-30s, she's managing a branch, She's got 17 people underneath her. She's got some customer service people. She's got some salespeople. She's got some operations people. Nobody ever gave her an MBA background. She's never had leadership and management uh, purposeful training, but she's pretty sharp. Or or it's the guy in his mid-40s that started out chuck in a truck, if you would, doing his own construction company 
And 15 years later, he's got a crew and a $22 million business. But once again, nobody ever told him what it takes to be a leader. He, he simply has learned how to bid out jobs and to hire the right people and make sure that the inventory shows up on time and the equipment is working. When I can, can come around that, that branch manager lady, when I can come alongside that construction owner, construction business owner, and help them realize that being a good leader is going to make a difference. I feel like I'm doing what I was called to do, and I see great satisfaction in helping them do their jobs better. Wow, I love that you have such a visual of, of who their ideal client would be. I know that for me, I, I agree, like when I have the opportunity to work with big companies, I, I feel a lift because it's, it's exciting to work with big companies. But when I work with a small grassroots nonprofit, the impact that I can have with just a little bit of knowledge, the way they can transform their work and work better and faster and more efficient and feel good about what they're doing, it's, it's really, it's profound what you're able to offer somebody who's yeah. on that front line. Yeah. I, I was with a, a group of landscapers a couple of weeks ago, not the type that would show up and mow your my lawn or, or snow blow our driveways. This, this, these are firms that service uh, commercial real estate buildings and shopping centers. Uh, and I was with about 75 managers in this national organization sharing with them that leadership matters. They spend their days looking at bids, looking at competition, making sure equipment is being repaired and getting people hired and trained. And, um, and to be able to step back with them and, and have them get their eyes up and realize that, that who you are as a leader and, and how you perform as a leader and how you communicate as a leader and the consistency and the vision that you bring to your leadership ultimately determines the effectiveness of your organization and you. That was tremendously satisfying. You know, and, and as a as a side benefit of that, when I get to work with leaders on leading better, it plays at home, it plays at work, it plays with family members, it plays in the community. When leaders get better, Bill Hybels said it so well. He's a leader of a very significant uh, Christian church outside Chicago. He organizes a, a international leadership summit. Annually, hundreds of thousands of people attend this summit as it simulcasts all over the world. And he nets it out for me. He said, when a leader gets better, everybody wins. And that's why I do what I do. So it sounds amazing. But I also imagine there's a lot of challenges in what you're doing. Um, tell me a little bit about a time that you've, you were faced with a challenge in, in doing this kind of work. Because it's such a people-facing, right? You're, you're trying to help people feel transformed, how do, you, how do you overcome those challenges that you faced? Yeah, great question. You know, there's really two main challenges in helping leaders lead better. The first one is, as I try to sell my services in the marketplace, the speaking, the training, the coaching, the consulting that I do, leadership development is a soft skill. It's not like putting somebody through Microsoft Excel training where at the end of that training, they know how to make formulas that will allow them to do their financial analysis better. Uh, leadership is, is more intangible. And indeed, sometimes leadership training benefits the leader in such a way that they leave the organization because their eyes are up and they see different things. So the first challenge quite honestly, is selling my services. As an aside to that, 
currently in the National Speakers Association, when you go on our website, there are 1,600 people that say they do leadership training. And so it's a competitive marketplace. Uh, huh. the, wow. The yes. second, <laughs> yeah. Um, the second thing that makes uh, leadership training challenging is not only is it hard to sell at times, but It's hard to measure immediate ROI. I managed a sales team, a sales team for years and years, and it was very easy. We could see our pipeline report every Monday, our, our weekly sales, our monthly snapshot. We had a dashboard that we could take a look at, and, and we knew where we were at to goal. Leadership is more intangible, obviously, and so it's harder to measure. How, how do you ever answer the question, am I a good leader? Um, I don't. I don't know if anybody knows that. The, I guess the other thing I'd add to that is not only is is leadership hard to measure, but um, the very act of leading well means you you give up control, and therefore leadership is powerless at times. One of my managers right now is uh, struggling. Her her first quarter numbers were fine. Her second quarter numbers started falling off. She's she's off significantly for third quarter. And she and I um, met uh, two weeks ago and had a a heart to heart hard conversation about where she's falling short in making her goals. And here's the challenge with that, Robbie. She can't solve her problems. Her her team has to solve her problems. And they, they won't solve them overnight. And, and she and I had this lengthy conversation about, you know, does she have the right people on the bus? Has she got aces in places? She recognized she's got to do some retraining. She needs to do some coaching. She ultimately realized she may need to have a couple of people exit her team. In some respects, she and I both are at the mercy of the people underneath her for making the goals that we've agreed to as a leadership uh, of our organization. So the, the people that think uh, the leaders are up at the top and they're the powerful people, they've never led. Anybody that's really been involved in leadership at any level realizes it's relatively powerless. It's, I, I, I'm, I'm giving away the very things that will guarantee success. I really appreciate that picture because I don't think, and all the people I've spoken to about this topic, that anyone's ever said it quite that way, that leadership is powerless. But you're right. If you're doing it right, you're building up your team to, to meet whatever the goals are and you're letting go and, and hoping that they do it. And then you're responsible for the, doing the training and the mentoring and the coaching to, to keep that going. Yeah. I, I was well, also and that's why I get so frustrated when I see the popularization of what I call the celebrity leader, the, 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 Big media hits of the people that are that are um, you know kind of bigger than life and have strong personalities and have social media, um, but they're not really leaders. They're 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 glorified celebrities. Um, a, a real leader, if a leader does a good job, at some level, they ultimately being somewhat in, invisible in their organization. So. I want to just kind of move us to a, a slightly adjacent topic. You know, this idea of striving for success, right? This is a goal that you, you had, even with a broken road, you were moving along that path, always trying to be the best you could be. And of course, along that path, you, there's that fear of being wrong as you're trying new things. 
uh, the fear of making mistakes or even of failing. With that in mind, tell me, what is it that you're not good at and how do you deal with that? Uh, great question. Well, that brings us to this whole area of leadership and failure. And um, I wish I could talk to you at the theory level of leadership and failure because it would be a lot less painful if I could talk to you at the theory level. Uh, I am on a podcast. Uh, you are on a podcast this evening with somebody that has lost $100,000 in the last year, in the last three years because of poor leadership. One of our units lost uh, $40,000 last year, lost $40,000 a year before, and lost almost $20,000 three years ago. I've had to replace five subordinate managers underneath me. I've been guilty of sticking my head in the sand, of trusting too soon, of not looking carefully enough. I've been guilty of getting angry and acting impulsively. I've been guilty of turning over responsibility that I shouldn't have turned over responsibility. And at the end of the day, who who paid the price for that? Well, unfortunately, because we own our own small businesses, my wife and I have. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I, I think the only good thing I can say out about, uh, uh, about that is, Lord willing, we've learned some things. And I manage our businesses and lead our people differently than I did three and a half years ago. I'm more actively involved. I am more aware Uh, of my weaknesses and make sure that I put in place boundaries around my weaknesses. I'm a great communicator. I'm an inspirational vision caster. I see a big picture quickly. I can connect the dots broadly pretty well. I'm not great operationally. Uh, I'm not great uh, in the day-to-day details. Now, I've had to get better I live by a P&L and a balance sheet, and I'm looking at a dashboard report on a regular basis for our businesses. But my natural self um, does not is not bent that way. And so one of the best things that happened to us was several years ago, we hired that capacity. And we have a regional director that works directly underneath me in our franchise businesses, and her strength is operational excellence. We make a great team together. If I had given her full authority three years ago, this ship wouldn't have gone so badly uh, for so long. So it sounds like the lesson there is to really recognize what your strengths and your weaknesses are first so that you then can shore up against them. Because Yeah, and I'm not sure you can even say recognize them first because – Unfortunately, sometimes your weaknesses come out because of painful mistakes. Yeah. And so you recognize them. What you can't do is keep doing the same thing over and over again. It's, right. it's you know, burn me once, burn me twice. If I haven't learned the lesson by the third time, shame on me. And yeah. that's when you, you need to, you know, you need to shore up your weaknesses. One of our core values at our, at our franchises is submit to strengths and protect weaknesses. And even as a leader... I do that. Karen, our regional director, she knows that I am not great at the details. It is her responsibility to get the P&L and the balance sheet done by the 10th of every month. If it was my responsibility, it would be the 15th or the 18th or the 21st or the 27th. They're all, or we'd be three months behind wondering where we were at. Right. She also recognizes that when a crisis is occurring, when we need calm heads to prevail and somebody to reassure the troops that everything is going to be just fine, she looks to me because I, 
I can do that well. And so we, we enjoy each other's strengths. We, we submit to those strengths. We also protect each other's weaknesses. That's wonderful. You know, to be recognized as a success at work takes a lot of time and dedication, both, both at work, but also in the way that it impacts life outside of the office. With that in mind, what does self-care look like for you? Great question. I, I, uh, you'd be proud of me, Robbie. I blogged about this at the beginning of the year. Uh, I have what I uh, challenge other leaders that I influence. Uh, I practice what I call the leader's hour. And it's not a full 60-minute hour, but regularly, at least five days a week, I begin my day um, quietly on my own. I, uh, I read some scripture. I engage in some prayer. I've got some leadership books that I find continually priming my pump that I reread my way through. I spend a couple of hours um, a week reading blogs, so I'll spend perhaps 15 minutes during that time blogging. And then I pull up my calendar and my to-do list. So before 7 o'clock or 7.30 in the morning or whenever my first meeting starts, uh, at least five days a week, I commit myself to investing in this leader's hour. Uh, the second thing is just um, just for fun, I'm a water skier. I slalom water ski. I live by Lake Austin here in Austin. And because I own my own business and we live near the lake, I will be on the lake tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock, uh, 50 feet behind a ski boat on my old water ski. And so um, physical fitness and, and getting out in the beauty of the hill country here in central Texas. Uh, and the last thing is my wife and I have been married for um, more than 30 years now. We're, I'm, we're just best friends and we're empty nesting. We have a sweet daughter that's a college graduate living out in Los Angeles. My wife and I uh, just get to spend a lot of time together. We've rescued nine dogs. The, the title of my uh, Amazon bestseller, The Golden Principles, uh, comes from one of the dogs we rescued in the leadership lessons, this uh, horrible, abused puppy mill breeding sire rescue dog. Uh, taught me. And so we, we spend time with our dogs. We uh, get to spend time together. So spiritual disciplines, physical disciplines, relationship disciplines for me. When I can invest in all three of those disciplines on a weekly basis, it helps me be the leader that I want to be. You know, most people who answer that question tell me what they aspire to do. It sounds like you're actually committed and you're actually doing this. When did that discipline kick in, particularly around the five days a week, you know, investing in yourself first thing in the morning? Well, you and I are both probably giving me more credit than I deserved. It's an aspirational goal for me. I live by a personal audit. I have a weekly audit. I've got 24 things that I want to accomplish every Every week, uh, blogging. Um, write, I write a newsletter for our uh, franchises since I'm, I can't be at each one of our franchise locations. I, I, I write a little one-page Andy's axiom that goes out each week. My goal is to have five of those leaders hours during a week. My goal is to uh, water ski or work out three times a week. So I've got 24 different punch lists. Mm. And I will tell you, Robbie um, – one, I've not always lived by that personal audit, but once I started li- living by that personal audit, uh, I started being more effective at my blogging, as you've noticed. I, I blogged more in the last six months than I would pro- probably blogged in six yeah. years prior to that and, and, and the other important things. But I'll tell you, I've got 24 boxes that I'm supposed to check every week, and if I can get to 20 of those 24, that's a good week for me. 
That certainly is. That personal audit, where did this idea come from? Oh, boy, I need to give somebody credit because I was reading a book last year where they had a, a spreadsheet that they had developed. And indeed, I took a look at their spreadsheet. It was a little overwhelming to me. Um, but but the idea got filed away in the back of my mind. And then our franchise businesses, one of the benefits that the franchisor provides to us is they give us a monthly audit for us to review our, the performance of each one of our units. So I had this personal spreadsheet from the book that I had read, and I had this monthly audit that I was doing with each one of our franchise locations. And, uh, you know, a number of months ago now, it just dawned on me, gosh, I should combine these two for myself. And so I, I have a, an iPad where I've got a PDF that I pull up uh, for each week and use my little, um, uh, my little scribe to check the boxes as I work my way through my 24 elements. Uh, last week, I got 21, but the week before that, I only had 13. So um, I, I am very much in process on this. But it takes us back, Robbie. I think, you know, we, we haven't talked much about it, but... We've talked a lot about organizational leadership. The, the first job of any leader is always self-leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, the, this audit and my leader's hour first thing in the morning are both wonderful self-leadership disciplines. I am so happy that you shared a little bit more about how you came to this because it also shows that we can get inspiration from so many different sources in our life and that they, if something that you're handed doesn't fit, you might be able to do an iteration and meld it into a way that makes it fit and that it, that it is aspirational, that, it, that we all have that, if we have that checklist, we know kind of the progress we're making week to week and it's, it's never all is lost. It's like, here's how much I've done this week and how much That's I've right. gained. That's, That's right. really great. You know, 11 check boxes two weeks ago was not a real great week, but I followed it up with a much better week last week. Right. And and you're right. They they need to change. I think of you and the young child you have at home, and you're going to have some check boxes on your audit list that would look a lot different than mine, but we modify as we go through. That's great. So I, I we're got a couple more questions as we go through this, um, because we also talk quite a bit about networking and the professional networks that you've grown over the years. It sounds like in this broken road career path that you've had, um, you've grown lots of relationships through that time. How have you stayed in touch with people? And you know, is there a way that you're nurturing those relationships intentionally? Not as well as I wish I had. My wife kids me regularly. I'm an introvert that speaks for a living. I'm not a natural extrovert. Building and nurturing relationships. Empathy is not one of my top five strength finder strengths. I'm not necessarily a real people person, and so I, I've I have to work at it, um, and I need to do a better job. In fact, if you were to ask me, Doctor Andy, what's one place you hope you're better at your leadership influence a year from now than you are today? I would say in nurturing long-term relationships. You know, Robbie, part of the challenge in the world that you and I live in is. We can go in and speak at a conference and leave. And there is a bit of change that can occur. We can have good influence when we're there. We can share our expertise and our knowledge and our background uh, for lasting change to occur inside organizations. It's typically not a one and done. 
sage on the stage event. There's an ongoing relationship, and I'm working at doing that better. I run some CEO roundtables here in Austin where I get monthly investment into uh, business owners here locally in the Austin area. And then like so many of us, as we grow our business through the National Speakers Association, I, I offer coaching and assessments. I show up ahead of time and work alongside organizations. I I develop case studies from inside those organizations and continue to work with some of those leaders after I show up at their conference or at their event and do a keynote or workshop. But again, that all sounds really good. I'm not doing it as consistently as I need to. So one of the tools that I mentioned on this podcast before that might be helpful for you is something called Contactually. That's C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y. Um, what you do is you put people in what they call buckets. And then, so you might have a bucket for the clients you're working with, the clients, your past clients, prospective clients, colleagues that you were on a board with years ago, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You make all these different groups and each bucket has a timer. The maximum amount of time that you want to have lapsed before you touch base with them on a one-to-one. And that one-to-one is either a phone call or an email. It doesn't count to just like their post on Facebook. <laughs> so, Well, and, and once again, I see you at your strength, Robbie, from the time we got to spend together at the conference in Phoenix. You, you are a naturally wired people person. And uh, uh, I use PipeDrive as my CRM, so I'm doing some of that. But, yeah. but even that, you know, you have to manage the tools that are supposed to manage exactly. you. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's true. Time. And like having, having all that, you know, actually, since you brought that up, we actually didn't, I didn't mention this, but I, I want to share a little of the story of how you and I met, because I think even that is a networking moment. <laughs> so maybe you share your perspective, because I'm happy <laughs> to chime in. Uh, well, I was at the Starbucks at the hotel trying to mind my own business in line, waiting to get a caramel macchiato. And the guy in line right behind me started talking to me. And I turned around and it was you. And we ended up having a great conversation. We both got our drinks we went out and sat in the lobby and connected, and and then you helped me because I was struggling with some technology. And if you remember, you you shared your expertise with me, and and all of a sudden I was in. And so it began because you were more warm and extroverted than I was. The truth of the matter is, before you said hello, I just wanted to be in my own little space. Uh, and here we are, a month and a half later, enjoying time in a podcast. You know, and then I saw you everywhere the whole weekend there's you know a lot of people at that conference and suddenly because i met you saturday morning i see you the whole week so yeah there's that yep. as well exactly right yeah i think you're right like piece of that was that we actually talked about some stuff that was meaningful to us in that time we had together over breakfast and that i was able to offer something even as yeah. minor as it was i was willing to sit down and and engage on that right that's part of the the ideas that you offer before you like bombard people yeah. In fact, the interesting thing is I had you in mind. My my leadership blog last week was leadership reciprocity and that whole principle of leaders invest before they expect a return, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and uh, you definitely demonstrated that in the Starbucks line at the uh, hotel in Phoenix in July. Well, that was wonderful. So um, if you had the opportunity, looking back, if you had the opportunity to talk to yourself when you were 25 years old, what is the one thing you'd encourage yourself to do to build a strong and supportive professional network? Uh, 
great question. I, I think probably the answer is be- believe in yourself and, and believe in your instincts. Um, go with that aroma that you sense that you're not sure you're allowed to follow or not. You know, as I, as I look back on that broken road that you've mentioned, you know, I don't ever regret that it kind of meandered around because I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I had been more straight line and purposeful. And part of what got me to where I'm at today now allows me to talk to other people who have also meandered because the truth of the matter is most of us haven't been straight line. We'd like to pretend we have been, but most of us haven't been. So I think if I could go back uh, into my head, perhaps in my early to mid-20s, I would probably say relax, enjoy the ride, believe in yourself, recognize the people around you are all on a journey, and don't be afraid to admit what you don't know and then go and try and figure it out. That's wonderful. Do you think that you would have taken your own advice? Uh, uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's why it's all aspirational. Hopefully someone listening will hear it and take it to heart. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's my, 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 my sort of wrap up question. And, uh, what I love about this question is that I am going to meet you a year from now. So when I see you a year from now and you're telling me what a great year it's been, what accomplishments would we be celebrating? That I will have been able to help a whole bunch more leaders understand leadership is pretty simple, but it's pretty profound. And that who they are as a leader and what they do as a leader and how they communicate as a leader and how consistent they are as a leader, the vision they cast as a leader, what makes a good leader a good leader matters. And if I uh, get to do what I think I'm supposed to do when you and I run into each other at the next conference in Florida next summer – uh, I'm going to be able to say to you, Robbie, I got to touch a bunch of leaders and help them lead better. That's wonderful. So how can people find you or follow your work? Uh, NeelyLeadership.com, N-E-I-L-L-I-E, leadership.com. And I've got uh, uh, pretty consistent blogging going on. They can sign up to get those blogs sent to them. Uh, and then like you know, like all of us, I've got a video up that will show them me uh, working with some emerging leaders and uh, or they can connect up with me on LinkedIn Andy Andy Neely on LinkedIn I would love to reach out to other leaders and and uh, help help them grow together and and uh, learn from them one of the things because we fly so much Robbie and I, I uh, I'm not much of a movie or television guy I read a great deal and so For folks that connect up with me on LinkedIn, I always have my top 10 leadership books sitting on my profile page. So if you want to find out what's what's current in my mind in terms of good leadership reading, it's right there. Oh, that's such a wonderful resource. Thanks for mentioning it. Well, this has been fantastic, Andy. Thank you so much for sharing this time with me and my listeners and have a fantastic rest of the week. Great. It has been a real pleasure, Robbie. I'm so glad you interrupted me in that line at Starbucks. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. Andy Neely. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? 
something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. One of the things that really stood out for me is how even when a career path is unconventional and doesn't follow a clear narrative, it can still lead to an outcome that is very fulfilling. If your career path in retrospect can be best described as a broken road, perhaps you are exactly where you need to be. Follow the opportunities that are presented to you and don't be afraid of taking on challenges that at first seem too off your chosen path. Where you end up may be better than you had even intended. I was also really inspired by Andy's personal audit. Like most people, I'm busy and tend to have more on my to-do list than I can possibly accomplish in any given day. I love the idea of creating a list of goals that I want to accomplish each week. I particularly like that these can be a mix of business and personal goals. This seems like a good way to judge week to week whether I'm accomplishing what I've said was most important to me. I agree with Andy that this list will change over the years, and since this episode is being released in early January, I will review and update my list each new year. Are you with me? Ready to create your own personal audit? Commit to doing so by leaving a comment on this episode's show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 25. One of the many things I mean to get to each week and often have a hard time fitting in is reaching out to prospective and past clients. That will definitely be part of my personal audit, or more precisely, I'll use the personal audit to keep track of whether I've reviewed my Contactually dashboard. Contactually is a robust CRM that's perfect for managing my professional network. I use it to help me manage my most important relationships and the ones I hope will become significant. As an affiliate for Contactually, they are offering my listeners a free 14-day trial. There's no credit card required. Let me know if you sign up for the free trial, and I'll help you get started and set up for success. Visit Contactually.com slash invite slash schmooze for more details. That's Contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y dot com slash invite slash schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. For your convenience, I'll add the link to the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 25. Well, we've done it again. We've reached the end of another episode. Thank you for listening to On The Schmooze. I want to sincerely thank all of you who subscribed and left a rating and review on iTunes. By subscribing and leaving a rating and review on iTunes, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. Will you subscribe and leave an honest rating and review? Include your Twitter handle in your review so I can give you a shout out. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. That's schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be sharing how strategic volunteering launched my career. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.